Our sermon text this evening is Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Romans 4, 18 through 22. I'm a little disappointed that Pastor Heifel got into Genesis 6 before I got into Romans 5, but maybe we can make up some speed in uh, chapter 5 of Romans. Right, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Hear again the word of the Lord. Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness." Please pray with me. Oh Lord, as we turn to your word, we seek instruction and comfort. We seek warning. Oh God, we seek you to teach us by your word and by the power of God the Holy Spirit. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless the ears of your hearers, that you would purify the mouth of the preacher, that, O oh God, you would accomplish all of your good work through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the entirety of chapter 4, we've seen the apostle arguing for the supremacy of faith. Faith being the alone instrument of justification. And he has said that faith then is how the promise comes. And he gives us now the example of Abraham. And by the example of Abraham demonstrates for us the excellency of faith. In this passage, we are going to see that the excellency of faith is, number one, because it rests on God's promise. Faith is excellent because it rests on God's promise. Number two, faith is excellent because it rests on God's power. It rests on God's power. And then finally, number three, we will see that faith is receives God's approval. Faith receives God's approval. Now in verse 18, you see it begins with something of a paradoxical sounding statement. Against hope, or contrary to hope, as the New King James says, Abraham in hope believed. Now the word hope, you understand, refers to a confident expectation of a future good. So, by definition, hope pertains to something that's yet unseen, right? As the apostle says, hope that is seen is not hope, for why would one hope for what he sees? So, hope is something yet future, and hope is in some good thing. But how does one hope against hope or believe in hope when there is no hope? Abraham is said to have had this confident expectation when there was no confident expectation to be had. 
The answer, of course, is that humanly speaking, without God, apart from God's promise, apart from the powerful working of God, Abraham had no expectation that he would be a father, much less the father of many nations. So if you were to say, when Abraham were to consider things from a human perspective, there was no hope. Ordinarily speaking, there was no hope. But as he considered the promise of God, he could believe in hope. You see, Abraham's expectation for the future did not rest upon himself. Indeed, it rested entirely upon the promise of God in which there was every reason for hope. Therefore, contrary to the prevailing hope or the seeming hope or what you and I may have thought was the hope, Abraham in hope believed. Some of you have probably heard of Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish philosopher and ethicist. He somewhat infamously said that faith was embracing the absurd. And by the absurd, he meant that which was unbelievable because it was irrational. It was contrary to reason. It required, said Kierkegaard, a leap of faith to embrace what the Bible says. Now, Kierkegaard at times admitted that he didn't have that kind of faith, saying, I cannot close my eyes and hurl myself trustingly into the absurd. But is that what the Bible means by faith? When Abraham believed, he did not embrace absurdity. He embraced God's veracity. It is not irrational to confidently expect God to perform what he promises. Do you see that? In fact, it is absurd or irrational for us to doubt that God will do what he says. Faith, biblical faith, saving faith in the biblical sense, is not a blind leap into the abyss of absurdity. Faith is embracing the promise of God. Who cannot lie. Now, we may remain uncertain as to how or in what manner God is going to accomplish what He said He will do. But if God is God, we have every reason to expect that He will perform what He promises. Now, you see in the end of verse 18 a quotation of Genesis chapter 15. Look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your descendants be. In this instance, Abraham believed a very specific promise. Namely, that he would be the father of many nations and that he would have many descendants and his descendants would be innumerable and all all of these things. But he was given very specific information. But I want you to notice here that this promise to Abraham came to him in the same way that all of God's promises come to all of God's people. Look closely in verse 18. According to what was spoken. The promises of God come to us by the word of God. Abraham received a word from God in the same way that we receive words from God. Therefore, the Faith in the promises of God refers to believing what God himself says. 
Now you all know that the Bible is filled with promises to you. Sometimes the difficulty is that we don't have the specificity concerning our lives that Abraham had. Abraham was very specifically told that he would have a son and he would have a son by his wife Sarah. And the struggles that Abraham had all pertain to that very promise. And sometimes we wish that we had that kind of specificity concerning our lives. And we, le- we are left at times to trusting God's providence, his general goodness towards us. On the other hand, there are a number of very specific promises for you. There are promises concerning your salvation. There are promises concerning God's provision to you, God's protection of you, God's keeping of you, and all of these things. And I want you to consider this evening one promise, before we move on from this point, one promise that God has for all of his people that I think encompasses everything that you struggle with in this earthly life. And that's this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. That is a promise of God that all things, difficult things, uncomfortable things, unwanted things, challenging things, painful things, uncertain things, all things, you And I, we must learn to trust that God works those things together for our good. Therefore, when it doesn't seem like we have hope, in hope we can believe the promise of God. This is very challenging, but this is no less than what Abraham exemplified here in Romans chapter 4. He took God at his word and did not allow the circumstances surrounding him to make him doubt God's promise. So then faith number one is excellent because it rests on the promise of God. And we can trust God. God is trustworthy. God is not one who says yes, yes today and then no tomorrow. But we see that faith is excellent also Because it rests upon God's power. I have in my lifetime made promises that I really meant to keep. And I failed to keep those promises. Not through maliciousness necessarily, but through inability, through weakness, through some failing, through some error. We all know this with human beings. Sometimes people make a promise that they cannot or do not keep. But Abraham learned, and we must learn, that God has the power to keep his promises. Verse 19 says, Not being wake in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. This is not to say that Abraham forgot his age. Right? He did not consider his own body. He, didn't, he wasn't naive. He wasn't unaware of all of these things. He wasn't unaware of all of the limitations, naturally speaking, that the Lord would have to overcome in order to give him and Sarah a child. So not being in, weak in faith, 
when it says he did not consider his body already dead. This is to say that Abraham learned to trust God's power in spite of his own circumstances. He did not consider his weaknesses to be any kind of threat to God's promise. And why? Because he was resting in God's power. Now from this we can learn a couple of things. First of all, you, beloved, must not allow your circumstances, whatever they may be, whether they are physical ailments, whether they are difficulties, whether they are persecutions or or mistreatments, whatever the circumstances around you are, you must not allow them to cause your faith to shrink back, to be weakened. Your faith depends upon the power of God and not upon your weaknesses, not upon your circumstances. If there is something that you think is hindering your faith, ask, is it, is it something that God is able to overcome? Or is this, just, is this merely some weakness of mine? Am I considering only me and not the power of God? The second thing we can learn from this here is that we must understand that our weaknesses, again, whatever they may be, are really no hindrance to faith. You know, I I visit people in the hospital, for instance, or people on their deathbed, and they lying there being unable to wiggle their fingers or toes can still have faith. So too with you. Whatever weaknesses, whatever ailments, whatever physical problems you may experience, they are really no hindrance to your faith whatsoever. You could be lying in a hospital bed and have faith to move mountains. Why? Because it depends upon the power of God and not the strength of your body. This is the example of Abraham. A hundred-year-old man does not have children, but it didn't depend upon Abraham. It depended upon the power of God. Indeed, your weaknesses, whatever they may be, are perfect opportunities for God to display his strength. And we know from many, many examples that God delights in doing that thing all the time. Now, verse 20 continues. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Perhaps you've noticed this, but some teach that doubt is a virtue. It's some kind of evidence of humility. To have certitude is arrogant, and to simply and plainly trust the words and promises of God is not humble. But in truth, to doubt God is actually a very great sin. And it is evidence of terrible arrogance on our part when we do it. Because, you see, when we doubt God's promises to us, when we doubt his word, we're questioning his truthfulness, his power, and we are, by doubting, actually refusing the goodness that he's trying to give to us. We're saying, no, thank you, God. We don't want that good thing you're promising to us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, he who does not believe God has made him a liar. Now, beloved, I know that none of us would in our best moments want to say we think that God is a liar. 
But when we fail to believe, when we do not believe, when we doubt, we are, practically speaking, accusing God of being a liar. Therefore, doubt is no virtue, and it is not evidence of humility. It is indeed grand arrogance. Now, beloved, every Christian experiences some doubt. If we live long enough on the earth and experience trials, we will find places of doubt. This is one of Satan's attacks that he is very accomplished at. So know that you will have opportunities to doubt. You will be tempted to doubt. So I am saying, when I am telling you that doubt is a sin, I am not saying you must pretend as if you've never doubted or you never do doubt. What I am saying is that we need to treat our doubts like all of our other sins. We need to confess them to God. We need to turn from them, ask his strength to repent of them, to confess them, seek his forgiveness, and go forward putting on the contrary grace, which is belief. So when we find ourselves doubting, we must bring it to God, confess it to him, and repent of it, trusting him again, to forgive us for that sin as we trust him to forgive us for all of our other sins. Now, I always found it interesting that in verse 20 here, it says that Abraham did not waver at the promise through unbelief. And then I get to chapter 16 and I see that Abraham fornicates with his wife's servant and has an illegitimate child and endangers the promise. And then in chapter 17, when he and his wife hear the reaffirmation of the promise, not only Sarah laughs infamously, but also Abraham laughs. And how can this be? And there are some ways that we might avoid this difficulty, right? We might say that when the apostle says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, he is merely speaking of Genesis chapter 15. At which point, remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And in that moment, it does not seem as if Abraham had any stumbling or slowing down even. However, in this passage, it seems like the apostle is compressing a lot of Abraham's life into these short statements. And indeed, he just referred to Abraham as being almost 100 years old which really fits better with the description of Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, which means that Abraham had gone through the trials of not having a son yet and the adultery with Sarah's Sarah's, uh, concubine and the other things. And I think the answer to this for us is to better take it as an encouragement. And what I mean is this. Abraham's imperfect faith is held up to us as an example of faith that pleased God. This, friends, gives us hope that our faith can be accepted by God. It is not reasonable for us to suggest that Abraham went the entirety of his life without any difficulty pertaining to his faith. We see examples of it. But what we do see is this, not a perfect faith, right, but a prevailing faith. When it is all said and done, Abraham was a believing man. Yes, 
He had moments of doubt. Yes, he had moments of weakness. Yes, he had moments of sin. He had trials. He had difficulties. He was tempted. But at the end of the day, Abraham was a believing man. And that gives us hope. Something else to consider from this is that genuine faith, saving faith, is not lost or weakened by trials. I hear this from people. They were a Christian until God did something they didn't like. They were a Christian until something came along and they were heartbroken and they lost their faith. But you see, the example of Abraham shows us that faith is not lost by trials. On the contrary, faith is actually strengthened by difficulties. Right? Faith is, is like steel. Steel goes into the fire and the fire hardens it. And that is what faith is like. It doesn't mean that temporarily it may not be hindered. But faith always comes out on the other side of trials stronger than when it went in before. Keep that in mind when you are undergoing some kind of trial. What is God doing but, but, but forging your faith, making it stronger? Thus we read... He did not waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Do you see, the trials of the Christian actually serve to strengthen our faith. It is that temptation, it is that wrestling, it is that wondering, it is that uncertainty, it is all of those things, the striving to hang on to God's promise that actually makes our faith stronger. But notice this was strengthened in faith. That's the passive voice. Abraham did not strengthen himself in faith. Indeed, God strengthened Abraham's faith. Which is to say that God made his power made shown perfect in Abraham's weaknesses. Now, what we like to hear is what we've just said. God strengthens our faith. I like the thought of that. God, give me stronger faith. What we don't like to consider is that it is most often the case that God strengthens our faith through difficult circumstances. I want strong faith. I don't want the trials through which I must go in order for God to strengthen my faith. Right? I I would like to uh, have a lot of things without going through the difficulty But know this about God, that he often tests and proves his people and strengthens their faith through difficult trials. But that proves the genuineness of our faith, doesn't it? It has been been assaulted. It has been beaten down. It has been struck down, not destroyed. Right? It always gets back up. I read a, a story of a man... In war, and he got in a hand to hand combat, and him and another man had a, a terrible fight to the death that, that was, um, you know, come down, it came down to rocks and, and fingers and all of these things. And, and then he said, and, and then suddenly I knew that the other man was dead. And the interview asked him, How did you know he was dead? And he said, Because he stopped fighting. In the same way, our faith is locked in mortal combat. 
But as long as it's fighting, you know it's alive. You know it's alive. It's living. As long as it's fighting, as long as there's breath, as long as there's some struggle going on, Christian, your faith is real and alive. And then when you know that, you look for signs of life. Is there, is there any fight at all? Is there any, any struggling? If there is, then you can say this. God is taking me through a trial, but when I come out on the other side, my faith, which is very beat up right now, will be stronger because this is how God strengthens faith. If you believe God in the midst of your difficulties, you can fully and fairly expect that God will strengthen your faith on the other side. Now notice the results of this trust that Abraham has. First of all, it gives glory to God, right? Not weakening in faith, but rather was strengthened, giving glory to God. You see how renouncing ourselves and relying upon God exalts him. It glorifies him. When creatures show their dependence upon God, that glorifies him. And that's one of the, the principal beautiful things about faith is how it actually shows that God is magnificent. It shows the power and goodness of God when we depend on him. And, and you can see it from the contrary. If we don't rely upon God, what does that say about him? That, that we are sufficient. That we don't need him. And it's interesting here that in Romans, believing God, relying upon him, trusting in his promises and in his power, it accomplishes the very thing which mankind, guilty mankind, cannot do, right? They do not glorify him as God in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And, and how can we glorify him as God? Very simply, it, it simply starts by believing him. And, and that Abraham glorified God simply by believing him. Second, this, this believing, look at what, what else this Accomplished Abraham's faith, it, it begets assurance. Do you see in, in verse 21? And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Faith is, is in some ways like a, a snowball, right? And you, as you roll it through the yard or roll it down the hill, it, it adds to it, it gets bigger and it gets momentum. And so too with Abraham's faith, right? He believed God, and then believing God, he saw God keeping his promise, and then that added to his assurance. See, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform means that Abraham's faith, when it was tested, did not weaken, and he did not turn away in doubt, but rather continued believing God strengthened him in his faith. Abraham glorified God and then found himself fully convinced that God was able to do what he said he would do. And so we see then that faith is so excellent because it rests on God's power. And of course, God's power is excellent. Finally, now we look at the third point. This is faith receives God's approval. Now we see this, first of all, by the example that God gives of Abraham. God puts Abraham in Romans chapter 4 as an approved example. Abraham was approved by God. And, and the thing that Abraham did that was more notable than anything else was that he had faith. 
And therefore we conclude that faith is approved by God. And I want you to know that even a little faith is still approved by God. But we see from the example of Abraham, the more faith, the more that we trust God, the more commendable it is. But it's not only that God approves of faith, but it is that God uses faith as the instrument then to count us as righteous, right? Verse 22, and therefore, therefore why? Well, therefore based upon Abraham believing God's promise and Abraham believing in God's power, Abraham confessing that he can't do it, he needs God to do it for him, it was counted to him for righteousness, here we see the excellency of faith as the instrument of justification. This is why justification is by faith, in order that it may be by grace. In resting on God's promise and his power, Abraham demonstrated that he contributed nothing, but rather depended fully upon God. Even in the realm of childbearing, Abraham contributed nothing but a hundred-year-old body which ordinarily speaking could not do that. Likewise, in resting on God's promises and power, we, and along with Abraham, humble ourselves. We come to God empty-handed, asking him to fill it. We come thirsty, hungry, needy, ready to receive And that glorifies God because we are showing our dependence upon him and our trust for him. You know, in faith, just by simply believing God, we offer a double confession. A confession, first of all, concerning ourselves. A confession that we are undeserving and unable to do what it is that God requires But there's the other end of that confession. In believing, we are also confessing that God is trustworthy and powerful. As I was thinking on this, I was thinking of the second verse in Luther's, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm not going to sing it, so stay in your seats. But did we, in our own strength, confide, our striving would be losing We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Do you see how in faith we are not confiding in our own strength? Rather, confiding very specifically in the strength of God, and as the, as the hymn points to, God, a man of God's own choosing, even Jesus Christ, who is for us the righteousness of God. So we see then that faith is trusting in God's promises and God's power, and we see that Abraham is given to us as an example, an example of an imperfect man, who obtained the perfect righteousness of God by believing the promise and power of God. And in this way, Abraham became the father of many nations and indeed became the father of all who would believe. If we are Abraham's children, let us do what Abraham did and believe God. Let us pray. Almighty God, 
you are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our trust, our confidence. You've never done us wrong. You've only been good to us. Oh, God, grant us faith to believe your promises. Faith to stand up under the enemy's assaults. Faith to turn to you and trust your words and not the lies of the world or of our own flesh or of the devil. Lord, let us not be pulled away or led astray by some plausible-sounding tale or something lying and deceitful. We ask, O God, that you would give us a hunger and thirst for your pure word and give us hearts to believe it, O God, to the saving of our souls. In Christ's precious name we ask. Amen.